Welcome to Momus the Podcast. We are your hosts, Sky Gooden and Lauren Wetmore. This week, I spoke to Sophia Almeria, an artist, writer, and filmmaker, and a person I have a huge intellectual crush on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think her name has that resonance for a lot of us. I remember publishing on her in the past and being seduced. Tell us a little bit more about her. Yeah, so her work spans so many different facets, from autobiography to poetry, and she's a filmmaker and a video installation maker. There are definitely themes that she circles, like Gulf futurism, post-humanism, science fiction. Um, but most recently, she's come out with this TV series that she's written called Little Birds, and it's set in Tangiers in the 1950s, and it's based on Anne Snin's erotic writing. I cannot mm. wait. <laughs> I mean, we all went through our Anais Nin period, right? Yes, <laughs> I'm, still in, I'm still there. <laughs> oh, I'm arrested. It. <laughs> it sounds like you're not alone. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so before we spoke, I asked Sophia to tell me a little bit about what she was interested in at the moment so we could kind of like catch up on her wavelength. Um, and one of the things that we ended up talking about a lot was Hildegard von Bingen. Oh my God, Hildegard. You're just hitting all of the buttons today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So a a 12th century German Benedictine abbess, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, known for her (laughs) musical compositions and philosophy. But I think one of the reasons why Sophia brought her up is because she's known for, for spending a lot of her life in isolation. But we ended up actually more talking about her prophetic visions. Mm. I understand Sophia has been isolating in a library in London by herself. So has she experienced any prophetic visions? <laughs> yeah, now that you say it like that, I actually did not ask for any further information on why she's isolating. <laughs> <laughs> Poor why journalism she- at work. Uh- Absolutely. (laughs) That was clearly the the story there, but I just, (laughs) I move right on through to talk about. Like, I need more information. (laughs) Okay. Absolutely. I'm sorry. We got into a deep riff about puppies right after that too. So it's apologies uh, in advance for the poor journalism. Um, So we did this interview in mid-May, and it was about one week before things started to really kick off with the Black Lives Matter protests, as well as this sort of frightening and bizarre downward spiral of virus management in the U.S. And weirdly, perhaps prophetically, (laughs) Sophia does speak at length about, you know, her concerns that the corona restrictions could inhibit demonstration. And she also talks about these studies that were done on astronauts and that show that um, when they're when they're in in this kind of isolating circumstance up in space, the three month mark is where things start to get like really weird and unmanageable. Oh, wow. Um, And I guess, yeah, at at the point at which we were talking was that three-month period. And she actually says something like, well, I'll just have to see what happens next week. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you and I have talked about this episode, and I know it has sat with you in various positions as we've we've moved through other interviews and as the world has like revolved several times over right um we were really thrilled to talk to an artist of course but i think you were also aware that the tone of it was was in keeping with that three-month mark or the almost three-month mark of the quarantine where people were feeling quite flattened out 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it has that. And it also, I mean, again, poor journalism on my part, but although I never claimed to be a journalist, I'll just put that right there. <laughs> um, but I think because of this, of this like huge crush, it felt very natural. And because we have a lot of shared interests and because she has a really great sense of humor, it just became a conversation. Um, in fact, in a way that I don't feel like I've been having a lot of conversations lately. It, it mm. felt almost like a, like a bit of a... Um, euphoric moment of just chatting about things that are important and difficult but also kind of fun and sexy <laughs> mm. it doesn't take much for you to get into the worlds of science fiction and erotics and I gather these two are also <laughs> themes you thrum <laughs> it's true yeah I think we are instantly deep into that um and one of the I think it was a one of the prompts that Sophia had given me was this uh this extremely sexy Angolan dance music called Kasimba that she's really been getting into. Mm. Um, and it's all about like extreme physical closeness as you're dancing and kind of simulating making love. And it got us talking for a lot of the episodes about these kinds of possible futures of touch and intimacy. And it was, it was sort of a very depressing conversation, but also weirdly cathartic to, to be able to talk about those things publicly. This sounds lovely. Like, I can't wait. I'll introduce you, Lauren Wetmore, and Sophia El Maria. Okay, so I'm, I've started recording, but uh, yeah, just remember that we're going to edit it and everything so you don't have to worry about being super slick. Okay, Unless cool. you want to be. <laughs> no, that's very, um, <laughs> it's comforting, especially in this, like, uh, really molasses like way of being because I'm isolating alone so I feel like being able to articulate things it, it comes a little slowly these days I feel the same way I saw a friend that uh, we were in the park together before the police came and moved us along oh, okay. um, and I realized that I hadn't spoken you know physically face to face with somebody in months and it was exhausting after five minutes I was like yawning and had to leave <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> my experience too. But it can even happen with like a with a FaceTime sometimes. It's like especially friends who who are also isolating alone for months and months have like reported back exactly this like total deep profound exhaustion. It's like crazy how sensitive we get so quickly. We're becoming hot house flowers. Something that I used to I suppose not scorn, but I would be suspicious of such sensitivity. That's definitely how I feel now. And my house is definitely a hot house. It's a jungle. London is spicy this week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So are you staying safe or are you staying alert? I'm staying I'm staying alert, keeping it dangerous, you know, going down to the park, breathing in other people's fumes while they jog. <laughs> just to get a little bit of a kick. <laughs> You're just running in people's slipstreams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the chemtrails of COVID. <laughs> just oh my god the first question is always how are you doing what are you doing I think when we started doing this chapter of the podcast people were really happy to start talking about you know the the new situation that they were in and like what's going on and how am I thinking about it and now I think that people are just like 
yeah, it has been this for months and I have no more to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps you're also in that position. <laughs> well, perfect timing. Thanks for um, <laughs> bringing me up at the like the crux moment where like... I knew you could bring something really good in this hard time. <laughs> Sliding into profound boredom. Actually, I was just listening to this thing <laughs> or saw this thing about how um, there's this uh, person studying astronauts and people who like live in Antarctica for example in profound isolation and that mm-hmm. it's around exactly this moment that things start to get weird <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah the three-month moment you mean yeah apparently it's like a there's like a threshold where being cooped up like that it just becomes too much wow and then what happens oh just wait until next week we're gonna find out um <laughs> I think it's happening. I mean, I've, I haven't felt it because my I've like slowed my metabolism in this sort of like tortoise-like way where <laughs> I blink slowly. I can see the plants grow. Um, and that sort of... That astronaut thing reminds me of this uh, Laurie Anderson story where she talks about how she was asked by NASA to be like the first artist in space. Did you ever hear this? No. She's really pumped and starts kind of preparing herself for for this journey. I'm just imagining Laurie Anderson <laughs> pumped, like sweating around. Have you ever seen that Oh Superman video? Like that? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly exactly. But sh- but her voice is so dry, so you would never know. <laughs> and then they call her two weeks before they said the launch was, and they're like, "Okay, great, come on down." Um, <laughs> she was training alone. <laughs> NASA. Well, no, then it turns out it was it was a simulation, but I guess they hadn't like made that clear to her. <laughs> oh my god. That is like, oh, crestfallen Lori. No. Man, I feel that way so often. This is not a test though. This is definitely not a test. You don't think so? I mean, I suppose it could be preparatory for something that we don't know what's coming, which is exciting. There's like a weird yeah. like flurry in the beginning where everyone was like, this is such a special time. So much change is possible. And it's kind of crazy how quickly we slip back into like our, um, it's, it's, I think really important to like hold steady and like really kindle and keep that flame alive of that, those like first moments of shock. Yeah. I have to say there was, I mean, I don't know, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but there was a moment. My favorite maybe, kind. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a moment a few weeks into it where I thought, like, I'm really, I felt like I was getting into it, you know? And I felt as though something might come of it. And then I started to feel like maybe I didn't want it to end. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want quarantine to end. Yeah, because there is something really, really freeing. I think about uh, there being no future. Yeah, I mean everything is taken out of your hands. That's obviously not the right way to look at it because what you are saying is that you need to sort of take it in your hands and hold it and remember that moment when you can change something. But yeah, for me, there there was definitely a good week where I was like, well, it's over and it's okay and I can do whatever the fuck I want. So did, which means staying happened? in bed all day. What changed that you? I guess time just kept passing. Oh. And uh, I realized that I was going to have to fill it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time and space and gravity. Yeah. 
are definitely in abundance. <laughs> How right have now. you been filling your time? Well, that is a really good question <laughs> for which <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people probably are experiencing this like strange, uh, yeah, like realignment of time. Like in the beginning, like I sort of, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it really like extremely like if I'm going to be alone I'm going to go deep so like I went offline like told my family I was going to be going on a silence retreat and did like a sort of like <laughs> DIY vipassana at home <laughs> where I did nothing but like attempt to meditate or like do yoga and then like occasionally walk around the block and avoid making eye contact with strangers <laughs> so that I could maintain <laughs> my walking meditation <laughs> and like had a really rigorous schedule and stuck to it for, I would say like five days past. It was almost like it was easier to just go really deep like that than it was to actually mm -hmm. like maintain this sometimes really painful connection with people that I love who are mm -hmm. far away. Even like, for example, seeing my neighbor's, with their children like frolicking in the yard, it like becomes like a sort of painful memory of like haptic existence with other humans. Yeah, but that's, that's absolutely. me being sad. <laughs> so let's not dwell on that. Okay. I was going to tell kind of a sad story, but <laughs> no, tell, tell, tell. I, will. I think story. you'll enjoy it. So I go for a, a jog in the park every morning. And um, the other day, and usually everybody is really kind of aggressive about, about, getting away from me because I think I'm like huffing and puffing quite a bit <laughs> so like a path clears <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be there running um, in your chem in your COVID chemtrail so now because the city has or Brussels has started opening up a little bit and people are taking full license with that mm -hmm. there's just tons of kids and I guess because kids wake up really early this is my impression so when I go for my jog really early it's just packed with kids and um they're no longer avoiding me, so I have to avoid them. And the other day, I was jogging, and this man had his kid up on like a, like a log, mm -hmm. and he brought the kid down and around to swing him, but swung the child as I was running by, and I didn't really notice, and swung the child fully into my body, like we both went over together. <laughs> it was so deeply unnerving. Like I have not you know, touched another human aside from my partner in three months. And <laughs> somebody literally throw their child at me. <laughs> exactly. And it reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen this terrible movie called Limitless. <laughs> Wait, like the one about the Adderall drug? Yeah, exactly. But I think there's a part in the beginning <laughs> where there's this like super agent who's on this drug who's being chased by operatives and she's being chased by a, uh, an ice rink. She picks up a child who's ice skating and swings him around and like decapitates, decapitates the guy this. who's chasing her. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> wow. I'm going to watch that movie yeah. tonight. I think that part happens in the first five minutes, so you I don't need to in. tuck in for the rest of it. They are an underused weapon. Agreed. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to stick that up my screenwriting sleeve. So you passed your time of ascetic living, or you're still in it? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I, like, without even realizing it, I had been, like, slowly accruing. So basically, I live in this library. It's already a pretty spectacular library with, like, very niche interests, which I also share 
But then I've also like accrued this accidental, like aesthetic mystic collection of books, like Hildegard von Bingen and Alex mm-hmm. Coltrane's Monument Eternal and yeah, like sort of religious mystics. And it's been weird because they've sort of like leapt out at me um, during this period. Mm-hmm. And also like in the very beginning, I was reading um, slightly separate to the religious mystic, but no less effective was Asata Shakur's biography. And mm-hmm. I was reading that before the lockdown, but then like it actually became really, it's a really important life and book but also the like sense of humor she keeps up in isolation in prison the the clarity that sort of like through line of like focus on a goal it made me begin to rethink and reconfigure like the things that I feel are really important to be focusing on right now just Hmm. to bring it down a notch uh of like (laughs) I've been thinking about that in terms of like solitude and how I guess the difference between solitude and isolation mm-hmm. um, and that maybe solitude is chosen. Um, I suppose isolation can be chosen too, but the kind of philosophy of solitude or the, the uh, decision of going into solitude at, as a, uh, I guess as an artist or a thinker, um, but that one can also choose solitude when isolation has been for- forced upon them. So people who are, say, in, like, solitary confinement or people who are in jail for a really long time and they can kind of choose to go into a state of solitude that enriches them yeah, um, intellectually. You know, one of the things that um, – the other thing that I, I watched in the beginning was that actually sort of made me think maybe I should do a Vipassana unofficially, but was this um, this documentary from the 90s, which is – nuts it's on youtube but it's called doing time doing vipassana there's a warden it's like a jail in delhi that has a very uh it has a reputation and this prison warden decides to introduce vipassana into the and then in the documentary a lot of the prisoners are interviewed yeah can you talk a little bit more about what vipassana is just for well, first of all, I've never own. done a real one, so I don't feel <laughs> okay. like I should. But um, I just like read a lot about it. You basically, it's like profound silence and meditation for days and days, or an attempt towards mm-hmm. that. You focus on your breath and nothing else. Like zazen. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, that's like a like um, Japanese Zen meditation practice. Mm. Buddhist. Well, see, I'm quite, I'm very new to all of this, so I feel also like I'm a little bit out on a limb. Like I am doing everything <laughs> DIY, <laughs> like everybody is right you know, now. Me too. So me too. I'll be clear. I know nothing about any of this either. <laughs> well, at a at a disclaimer at the top of the podcast, Sophia knows absolutely yeah. nothing about anything she's talking about. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should wear a button that says that. This week, Toronto-based Media Arts Centre InterAccess launches its annual celebration of digital art and game art. Vector Festival 2020 Online Edition presents works by more than 60 artists across a virtual program of interactive browser-based artworks, live-streamed performances, art games, panel discussions, screenings, and online workshops. 
Curated by Katie Mickack and Martin Zellinger, Vector Festival explores experiences of isolation, distanced interaction, virtual togetherness, digital art making and curation, as well as emerging forms of community, solidarity, and care. The festival launches Thursday, July 16th, with events running every day until July 23rd. And if you can't make it then, the exhibition will remain online until August 13th. Head to 2020.vectorfestival.org for the full festival program. What has your experience professionally been over the past few months? I know, like for me, I work freelance and the art world or the creative world has really dried up in a serious way that Mm. has been quite difficult. Have you been having similar experiences? I think I've been very impressed with certain institutions and the ways that they have made provisions in spite Hmm. of things being canceled. I think within certain institutions, there are people who have really had to fight to maintain, like, uh, you know, to get artists paid, for example, even if things were canceled and stuff. And I really respect that and appreciate that and have been the beneficiary of that and have also had the opposite happen with certain other institutions, which also (laughs) remain unnamed, but, um, but which uh, have um, really left a lot of people in the lurch and Mm -hmm. um, including their own staff. So, I mean, I feel very, very um, hashtag blessed that I'm okay right now, but I'm also, I mean, essentially Mm self-employed freelance in that way. Also in terms of writing, which interestingly, yeah. I, I hear this a lot from also other writer friends, which is just like, nothing's really changed. <laughs> We're just like still <laughs> sitting at home, still uh, <laughs> slightly gray from not going outside enough, still bad back, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff, which is like <laughs> definitely a common complaint of which I also suffer. But um, just the fact that like what I do really, you know, for example, like I'm not a performance artist. I'm not like... F- having to physically work in like a foundry or you know in that way like I do there there have been a lot of like people asking like you know what is your like list of things or how have things changed for you or for example I agreed to do this because I listened to it and I thought that you were funny and I liked you (laughs) (laughs) Um, but at the same time I'm sort of like actually yeah like I exist in this sort of slipstream of my work has always been very much solitary so yeah the ways in which like my actual work has been affected aren't so great because I can still write stories and I can still Mm -hmm. write poetry which has been coming thick and fast and has been a really important thing for me to read also in that same sort of sense of like reading these sort of mystics it's weird like my reading material has been mainly like either how-to guides okay more DIY stuff (laughs) Or, or, um, like how to what for, let's talk about how to what first. Okay. Um, definitely. Well, other than, other than meditation books, how to raise the, the art of raising a puppy is what I've been reading lately because (laughs) that book, I don't know. Have you ever read this book? (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. So this book is like a, it's like a, I feel like it's a cult dog owner classic, but it's called, Okay. it's by the monks of New Skeet. <laughs> so it's by, <laughs> it's collectively by a monastery 
none of whom will like no, no one takes credit for the actual writing of it because they collectively raise dogs <laughs> it takes a village it takes a monastery in fact <laughs> <laughs> that to, was the better joke to raise a litter um <laughs> it's it's really beautiful like it's like the opening is like you know it's like it's actually quite there's something quite creepy about it, but it's like all very like holy. So it's like a monk is walking behind Anka, the pregnant bitch, and her vulva is swollen, and she's about you know like all of this sort of like quite intense imagery. And then <laughs> yeah. the the whole book, like the whole first chapter, is like a very uh, detailed description of this dog giving birth, and then like uh-huh. and then going through the social dynamics of like the pack and the way that humans fit into that and blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, it's very much like a practical guide about how to like discipline and train. And it's funny because like, basically London is experiencing a puppy shortage. (laughs) I have found (laughs) because like many people at the beginning of this, I was like, now's the time to get a dog. And then of course, like all of the rescue places were like, nope, it's like we've run out. And then it's crazy. Like I live in this area where like, there's so many, like the amount of, beautiful purebred excited puppies that are on my my square block is actually crazy like every other person (laughs) I see has a really excited like couple of month old puppy on a leash and then I'm just thinking like there's going to be a lot of anxious dogs when everybody goes back to work because they've been absolutely so I'm waiting for the second wave and then I'll just like adopt them (laughs) You'll just adopt all of the anxious dogs. Yeah. I'll be like, come to my tiny library. We'll read together The Art of Raising a Puppy. Welcome to my nunnery. Yeah, I have my own dog monastery up here. But I can see that. You'll be like the Hildegard of Bingen of London's anxious dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all my bitches. So, yes, you very helpfully, before we had this conversation, said that you'd been looking a lot into Hildegard. Have you had any prophetic visions? Was that the, the kind of thrust <laughs> of what you were looking for? Or yeah, it was definitely. Is that the goal? The goal is to reach like the thousand lotuses. I want to be able to see right. the, the firmament and the angels. You know, <laughs> it's like speaking of not having enough stimulation. <laughs> definitely the overstimulation of prophetic visions um i think it can be overwhelming even for prophets i mean it's also like so i don't know if this is like something you can talk about but so many people are like really into psychedelics right now yeah. i feel like so <laughs> oh right now huh yeah just like going inwards the inner space journeys Um, And I guess also your environment is a lot more controlled. Like there's not a chance of you wandering outside and like, you know. I mean, I suppose there's always a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Where nature finds a way. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nature wanders in. (laughs) But yeah, no, I don't think that I would want to partake in these times. Like I feel like I feel like I could spiral out very easily. Yes, the spiral is real. We're in a collective spiral. Um, I think letting go into that is like kind of important. And also doing shit that like scares Mm. me, like on the sort of daily basis. I've been trying to do that. It's like all of these like horrible, cheesy self-help like things that I used to sort of (laughs) scorn. People like think we're like really cheesy. All of a sudden I'm like, "Mm, yeah, meditation. Will you tell me a thing that you've done that scares you that was successful? 
Mm. Or not successful, actually. It's been a mixture of, like, actual big and little things. Mm-hmm. From, like, having, like, conversations or mm. facing things that I've been avoiding for years to yeah. getting on a fucking bike, um, which I am terrified <laughs> of in London, to, yeah. yeah, like, going offline for a week. That actually was, like, maybe doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was to not speak to anybody and to really be like disconnected was something that I was, I think, pretty profoundly afraid of. Yeah. And to just do that. Because you live, I'm going to say you live a lot of your life online, but that doesn't sound right. Like I think your your connection to the online world or whatever is profound, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I think all of it is for most people, at least of, I don't know how old you are, but I, up until now, I guess, have tried to make some like pretty hard and fast decisions about not engaging with things uh, online more than I would in real life, or I don't know if that makes sense. Like there are certain things that I won't do, like I won't do Twitter or this and that and the other. But I have always thought that the way that you do things like social media is pretty great. So the thought of you not doing that for a week, yeah, I can see that being quite quite a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just not not just social media, but like talking even on the phone. I think that that internet life balance thing is even more important now, probably. What I want to get to actually is the conversation about Kazumba. Again, this is another one of those things where it's like all of these like beautiful things that I've always wanted to do, and now there's the time. Yeah. But that's something that I can't, at least not yeah. with anyone. And there are there are classes online and there's ladies styling and like different kinds of styling. But it's really sad to think that, yeah, it's really sad. I mean, I, I've seen videos of it, um, but it's really sad to think that that will maybe never happen again. Is that possible? That people will not be able to dance close to each other anymore? Just imagine like to be able to dance together like a, I mean, there, there is, like, for example, like, film crews are isolating together and stuff like that. I feel like yeah. you will be able to. It'll just, like, require extra, like, quarantine periods. <laughs> so it's just going to yeah. get, like, really sort of culty. <laughs> like, everybody has yeah. to, like, be in a hotel for three weeks. <laughs> Only the, se- the It's third like being week. on a jury. Yeah, exactly. Actually... Juries are a kind of information quarantine, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like starting to be able to productively plan how to be together again in groups is really, I feel like, the thing. And especially with stuff like, I mean, the thing that I'm most concerned about, I mean, that I've been thinking a lot about is like, this is exposing the fault lines of all kinds of really, I mean, exposing fault lines all over the fucking place. But, like, the fact that people can't gather to demonstrate is really scary. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that. And I really am, like, amazed that a lot of the people who, because I don't have a background in organizing, but actually I've been having a lot of dreams about it. Prophetic visions, maybe. (laughs) Oh, my um, God. (laughs) But it's, (laughs) it's something that's, like, been really present. And the things that I've been thinking about organizing a little dance competition would be the first thing, a little Kazumba moment so that I can try it for the first time with other people (laughs) and then (laughs) see how else to like come together 
safely. There's a lot of pre-planning, I guess, that needs to go into it. You can't just kind of stumble across somebody and say, let's dance. (laughs) You have to to give them two weeks notice. No more. (laughs) You have two weeks to cobble your own red shoes. DIY everything. (laughs) No one puts Sophia in the corner. No. (laughs) The dirtiest of dances with a mask. A full body prophylactic. (laughs) That's a good idea. That's something I think we should all be working on. Full body prophylactic. It's like latex is no longer just like pop fetish. It's like just mandatory. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But so you see, this is the first step towards the uniform, like the Star Trek uniform world. And I support that. Yeah. I mean, it's universally flattering. It's true, except when it's too tight, which it usually is. (laughs) I love baggy latex. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, especially when you sweat and it gets like kind of foggy. Oh, yeah. The transparent, (laughs) foggy latex. Just sort of like ruched puff sleeves. (laughs) (laughs) I've been finding that actually like a really, this is a really irrational thing that I've been embarrassed about, but I have really sweaty hands. So if I wear, um, like when you... (laughs) When you go into the grocery store, you hear you have to put on uh, surgical gloves. Yeah. And my hands, by the end of it, are like you can see that they are full of sweat, <laughs> these gloves. It's <laughs> disgusting. They're <laughs> like sliding around inside of two big, uh, two big surgical yeah, gloves. Yeah, inside of like a man sized glove. <laughs> oh. It's mean, really foul. That sounds like, I mean, how do you like pinch your avocados? <laughs> Like sliding around. That's what there. she said. <laughs> well, this is taking a turn. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's something yeah. that I'm definitely like. I'm. I. Lo- I'm curious to talk about because that's something that like I was thinking. Also thinking about a lot was like, okay, in the beginning, everyone was like, "I'm so horny. Like all I do is watch yeah. porn." Like, I'm going yeah. to this, like, Zoom orgy, blah, blah, blah. I was just, like, thinking, like, everybody's going to burn themselves out pretty quick. And then, like, yeah. we're going to we're gonna end up, like, everybody writing, like, long epistolary romances to each other. Like, sending pressed flowers. Like, just entering into this, like, new phase. Yeah, absolutely. I saw this, um, I think it was, like, a reductress Instagram thing. Or it was like how to pretend that you're that you're masturbating way more now that you than you were. Like <laughs> so you need to somehow front as being really horny. Oh my god. Whereas everybody's just like secretly not at all. I think that yeah, that like fronting thing is like it's really painful in a weird way. This is like going out on a fucking limb and I don't know if this is something I want to say publicly, but whatever. But like I feel like it's like incel type sort of mentality in a lot of ways comes from like isolation (laughs) of like that is voluntary or not voluntary (laughs) celibacy and like and so like now depending on your situation and you find yourself in this like it can be actually really um (laughs) yeah like hard and triggery to like see even like people making out in the street which actually makes me really happy now yeah. But like in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm never going to kiss anyone again. But I got over that. It's fine. <laughs> but- 
Yeah, I, no, it is disturbing. Like it's disturbing to think that the population of incels is growing, but but also <laughs> yeah. like maybe unwillingly. Yeah, we have to watch out for that. The, and we have to be watchdogs of ourselves, of our own like feelings. Indeed, how to not become an incel? Oh, that's an article. That's I a how-to like book you could yeah, write. Yeah, how-to book. It's true. Wow. What would the first step be? The first step would be stop fronting that you're masturbating. Just (laughs) masturbate. (laughs) Or don't. Or don't. I'm sorry. I feel like I don't have anything like that's actually like enriching to say about this situation. I'm just like. That's okay. I don't think there is anything enriching to say about it. I think, you know, maybe, yeah, again, that's an unpopular opinion, but I think that maybe sometimes it just needs to be like what it is. Or we don't need to pretend that this is somehow this this is somehow going to um, get better. Mm. Like so, I was I started rereading the parable of the sower. Me too. And I got yeah, and I because I think that that's what you do as like a <laughs> I don't know self harm in quarantine essentially. Yeah, it's and definitely that it was. I just couldn't. I got. A quarter of the way through, and like this, these are books that I love and I've always loved, but I got a quarter of the way through and had to stop. I was like, I, I cannot do this because it's, it's all so obvious and it's real. It's too real. Yeah. It's too, too real. It's prophetic. Talk about prophetic visions. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. And- I was thinking about that with Octavia and those books. Like, we have to be really careful about our prophetic visions, I think. And like sometimes <laughs> saying things out loud can make them real or writing them down can make them real. That's the thing that like a lot of people like, what's his name, Vladislav Sukov or like, yeah. you know, Trump's people, they understand that in a yeah. really deep state way of like the, whoever controls the story controls what's going on. I'm, I'm actually almost done with Parable of the Talents right now, which I have never gotten to the wow. end of. Yeah, that's impressive. It's, well, I've been listening to the audiobook. (laughs) Not really. Like, I find when I have, like, a parable day, I I have, like, a little spiral. (laughs) Parable day. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, they're so long. It fills a lot of time. But, yeah, I feel like reading stuff about the future, which isn't the future. It's really, really now. Like, I guess I always thought something like this might happen, but a little bit further down the path. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like you thought maybe you'd, re- you'd retire and then there would be an apocalypse. <laughs> no, I'm not like that boomer about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was talking a while ago about how, I mean, all I've been reading is is science fiction. But I think also because as, like aside from all of this, I find science fiction to be kind of a uh, like a pablum for me. Mm. You know, like it's the thing that I can read and it feels like a warm blanket, um, which is why I think when I started rereading The Sower, I thought that's what it was going to be. And then, you know, very quickly it was like, oh, shit, this is this is not making me feel better at all. But I think that's maybe what what I was saying is that those books are like everything is so profoundly not OK. Yeah. And. I get kind of frustrated with this, um, always trying to bounce back to this rhetoric of like, well, can't this be a time of like extreme productivity? Can't this be a time of community building? Can't this be a time of thinking about some kind of, I don't know, better future? (sighs) I don't know. I just think like, when has that been the case? (laughs) Mm. Like, show me the receipts on that way of thinking. But then 
Of course, that's horrible and not necessarily true. But I, I, res- I kind of appreciate those books for that. It's like, no, it's all horrible, but but this is how to live. Yeah. I mean, I think that there have been moments of like utopic thinking. And I mean, I just slagged off the yeah. boomers, but I do think that like the other thing that I've been reading that but I mentioned utopic to you. thinking, not actual action. I think actual, actual living. I mean, I think, you for think example, so? I was, I've been, have you, have you read the faggots and their friends between revolutions? Tell me about it. Well, it's, so this book has been like floating around in my periphery for a while. It circulated as sort of like a cult classic for many years. I think it was written in the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a new edition of it with an introduction by Tourmaline that I really recommend that it's sort of like, I think it's made it a lot more accessible um, Hmm. recently. And that book at the beginning of this was such like a poultice on my heart. Hmm. It's about wisdom and community building and nonviolent revolution and love and sex and flowers and Hmm. growth and change which of course we know Octavia says is God. And, and the book really like brings me to tears when I open it and read it because it feels like a really, almost like a religious book for me in terms of ways of being and ways of staying open and ways of staying vulnerable in the face of like um, violence or hardship. And I personally am very lucky to be safe right now and and alert <laughs> um, but I, I think um, that book is like an example of the opposite of the parable books and that's what I mean when I'm oh. saying like I think when I started rereading that book it made me also kind of like rethink in some ways like how I feel about Octavia sometimes because hmm. I feel her books in a way, especially later on, they're sort of like letting out a lot of darkness and horror. It's hard to witness, but it's important or to read, let alone like imagine and be inside of, because when you read one of her books, you're really inside of it. That's one of the things that I've done to like, that I was afraid of was to really go in and finish that because Hmm. previously it had been such, I had so much anxiety around this like shift that I felt would, eventually happen may still happen depending on how we deal with various ways of being what do you mean this shift i mean something's got to give right we have environmental (laughs) like this is kind of like an (laughs) eco-fascist dream right it's like yeah but it's also false like it's not like yes you know the dolphins are not returning to venice this in a way is like nature being like all of you fuck off go back go to your room you know think about what you've done (laughs) <laughs> which was definitely how it felt in the beginning with like, yes, you know, flights or whatever canceled and yeah. Extraneous like talks for no reason going to a city to go see friends like that. It's like, I'm kind of ashamed, <laughs> but I'd gone through like a period of like real fear and anxiety around the environment that sort of lifted now. I feel because of this kind of uh, stoppage or the fact that maybe the script can be rewritten a bit now. That's exactly it. It's because collectively 
it's a humbling and a reckoning. Yeah. Right. But it's of course also like disproportionately affecting certain groups who are on the lowest yes. rungs. So I think linking like social justice with environmental action or perhaps like non-action and non-movement and non-consumption um, mm-hmm. will actually like make thinking about the future less harrowing because previously I thought parable of the sower parable, like the parable books are like a literal projection or like books like mm-hmm. the road or like all of these sorts of like hopeless despairing worlds that were imagined, especially like in mm-hmm. the late 20th century. And then like, you know, you have like all of the like techno optimists who fucking piss me off. And then you have, <laughs> you know, like this happened. Have you ever read the book Station Eleven actually? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. That's another favorite, which is like weirdly hopeful. But that's about a flu pandemic. And it's uh by I believe a Canadian author. I read that book years ago. It scared the hell out of me but it was also like had this weirdly hopeful tone because at the center of it is this traveling troupe who are like a theater. Hmm. Um, so it like kind of goes through like the actual pandemic moment and there's a lot of really scary stuff. And then there's like, it sort of flashes forward 10 years to mm-hmm. like an intensely like depopulated world. And it's almost like reminds me of the seventh seal or something mm. sort of like medieval. <laughs> and in the book, they, there's a character who has like a stationary bike and is will like ride it to try to get enough electricity to see if the internet is still there. <laughs> I just remember that scene. <laughs> and like, it has like a sort of whimsy in the middle of the fear that I really, yeah. I really am attracted to that way of like seeing the darkness is to also I like am too. do that. Cool. Yeah. I think that's why I always like JG Ballard so much. There's not a lot of whimsy there, but there's a lot of kind of perversion, I guess, or like sexual fantasia. Yeah. <laughs> sexual fantasia <laughs> is, defini- is definitely the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sky actually, who runs the podcast with me, um, said the other day that whenever I get stressed out, I descend into sexual fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look and like? I haven't been- I don't know. I haven't been able to stop thinking about that combination of words. <laughs> I'll be out in the park and I'm like, am I descending into sexual fantasia <laughs> as we speak? On your jog as you're interrupted by a swinging child being hurled at you. <laughs> it's really fucked up. Very Ballardian. Absolutely. That is yeah. like something but that I mean, would happen in Millennium People, like in a mall. <laughs> Yeah, like, absolutely. Or like high rise, for instance. Mm. I live in a, I don't live in an apartment building, but I see the way that people are getting really shirty in, uh, <laughs> I love in that word. kind of, <laughs> it's great, great British word, um, in uh, communal spaces, mm. you know, like all of these kinds of aggressive little notes that everybody's leaving on their window. Like, um, if you're going to be outside my door, please do not you know, come within six feet or please do not breathe on my window or I saw you breathe on my window <laughs> yesterday. And, you know, like, it's really mounting. I can see these, these really. Stop leaving me love notes. notes. No more fog hearts. <laughs> 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 I've had enough. <laughs> but yeah, it makes me think of high rise. It's like, this is the first step when everybody starts to kind of like grade against each other. And then suddenly it's going to be, I don't know sexual fantasia hopefully yeah i mean that's 
a definite um, goal, perhaps. I I love that sexual <laughs> fantasia. It's sort of like the it's the that's the Zoom orgy that everybody wanted, but you know doesn't really happen. <laughs> sort of actually just really awkward. <laughs> Some people are there without their camera on. The creeps, lurkers. <laughs> but that's been very work in Zoom. That works. <laughs> that works on Chatterbait, where you're anonymous. But on Zoom, it's like it's just your your name. <laughs> oh, so you do do sex. So you do do these uh, these online orgies. That's the sexual fantasia. No, no, I don't do that. Although I have definitely, and I will most certainly cut this, but or maybe I won't. <laughs> who knows? I have been really fascinated by Chatterbait lately. It's um, I don't. Have you ever looked at it? No, I haven't. I mean, it's that's another very... step in the incel book, the incel um, 10-step guide. <laughs> Do you think – I don't <laughs> – I'm joking. Sorry. Oh, my God. I'm becoming an incel. This must be an unprecedented moment in Chatterbait, but it is full of people who are <laughs> desperate for some kind of human connection. Yeah. And – I mean, yeah, of course, there's all of the people masturbating and there are the people making money and there are the people who are forced to be there and so on and so forth. And, you know, the kind of like intricacies of whatever that world is. But if you looked hard enough, there are people who are who are alone, like profoundly alone. And this is their way of of meeting with other people. And there's something (laughs) there's something really heartwarming about it some guy will go on and he has like a lot of followers and he'll start masturbating, but he's not really into it. Like he's there to chat and people will have full conversations with him and with each other about like their lives and their hopes and their dreams. Mm. And it's like the jerking off is the kind of like shared interest. (laughs) Yeah. Or it's kind of like, forgive me, but this like totem that all of this activity is going on around. (laughs) Wow. I really forward to reading this essay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> there yeah, was this um, I, I really sad that I missed this um, speaking of things that should and will change there's this mm. um, there's this collective in South London of sex workers who are running this online uh, sort of like workshops but I'm, I, I was so <laughs> angry like I missed it and it sounded mm. like it was all so, so beautiful I think it's anyway the group is called Sex and Rage, just like to name check this really, I think, amazing work that they're doing. Sex um, and Rage. That's great. Like, just to give you an idea, let me just look it up really quick of like some of yeah. the workshops, but it felt like yeah. actually like the work that should be going on. <laughs> um, wait, hold on. Damn it, it's on my other computer. Hold on. Let me, I want to actually be able to like speak clearly yeah. about this because I really respect what they're doing. Okay. Um, Shall I tell you about the first thing I the first thing I ever saw on Chatterbait? Yeah. So I opened up the window. I don't know why, but it was a a view of a sort of um, outdoor amphitheater with exposed roof beams, and the I guess it was a laptop that was positioned on one end of the amphitheater. Um, right in the middle. So all of the roof beams were kind of coalescing into that one point of focus. And it was a perfect kind of golden rule structured image 
of this camera looking right down the barrel. Like it was very Kubrick-esque, right? Delicious. Right down the barrel of this. It was, yeah, it was really delicious. And the person's name was like Thai guy something something. So I assume it was in Thailand. And you Mm -hmm. could tell it was really, really hot. And the cement floor was kind of steaming. And then outside the amphitheater, it was this really tall grass. And there was nobody there. It was completely empty. And then suddenly this man nude and wearing a black like face medical mask walks into frame but he's all the way on the other side of the amphitheater so you can't really tell what's going on oh spectacular whoa it's like it's like gladiatorial masturbating oh my god it was (laughs) (laughs) i was i was wrapped (laughs) and so okay he walks in and he's standing there and you're thinking okay what's going to happen here and then he looks suddenly to his side and then he looks at the camera and then he starts full on booking it towards the camera. He jumps off the stage, runs to the camera and like shuts the laptop. Oh my God. And then, and then the feed just ended. Whoa. Yeah. It was like the most exciting television I've seen in years. That is such an amazing opening of Basically, a William Gibson novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was profoundly incredible. I've seen some other amazing stuff too, but that wow. as a first thing was just I was hooked. Completely You've definitely hooked. stoked my interest in this. Yeah, I could take you on a tour. I was thinking maybe I should do like guided tours of Chatterbait. Yeah, like here's what you avoid unless you're interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> I found uh, I found the website. Okay, tell me. So there's this um, there's this collective in South London. Um, their website is sexandrage.com, and they did this online festival called Imagine Futures, which I missed. Um, I found out about it at the very end, and I was really mm-hmm. sad about it. So they had, for example, like is very relevant to the, what we've been talking about, um, like a workshop called like online intimacy nurture and expand our erotic imagery or like Hmm. sex work sexuality and parenthood these sorts of things that I feel are really like the important work of how to stay connected and stay like engaged and like and infusing all of that with like joy and love and also like eroticism um because like another thing that I've been listening to Actually, kind of on repeat is that Audre Lorde um, lecture about like the pa- like the uses of the erotic. Yeah, and I listened to that recently too. It really has been kind of like a grounding thing to listen to, to listen to her voice, but also really like remembering how important it is to keep that like, flame alive, um, especially in when it's when it feels difficult and hard to fantasize. I'm just like yeah. in such a space of speculation right now. But yeah, this is like the first invitation to talk about it that I've taken and I don't know how it's gone. So I'm a little nervous, but, but, um, but yeah. No, I appreciate that. I think speculation is exactly what is exactly what I want. Mm. It's the only thing that's possible. Yeah. Speculating wildly into the, into the sunset. (laughs) (laughs) That's the perfect end line. You are a script writer. (laughs) Wow. 
Lomas the Podcast is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and assistant production from Mitra Shiram. We would like to thank Sophia Almaria for her contribution to this season. Please consider making a one-time donation to Momus by contacting me, skygooden, at momus.ca, or a monthly donation for as little as $1 or $5 per month, which genuinely makes a difference, through patreon.com slash momusart. If you like our work, please help us make it. This has been episode 23 of Momus the Podcast.